Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. We explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damian Sassauer. Coming up on the show today, we take you back to Lynn Sanity. Little fancy shot clock at eight. Splits the defense again. Gets to the rim. Pucks it in. And a foul. Wow. Jeremy Lynn does it again. And the crowd on their feet fan homage to this man. That highlight you just heard with Knicks announcers Mike Breen and Walt Clyde Frazier, courtesy of MSG, was just the beginning of Jeremy Lin's unbelievable hot streak back in 2012 that we now know as Lin Sanity. Yeah, over the course of that nine-game stretch, Mr. Barr, Jeremy Lin averaged something on the order of 25 points per game, just over nine assists per game, and shot over 50% from the field. He led his team to some very impressive wins, but none bigger than that win against Kobe and the Lakers when he dropped 38 points. Yeah, that is incredible. And that stretch of games made Jeremy Lin a superstar, not just because of how well he played, but because of how improbable it was for a then pretty much unknown player to do what he was doing and especially as an Asian American. That 38-point performance at MSG is now the subject of a documentary, 38 at the Garden. And to talk to us about Lynn Sanity, the making of that documentary, and about some business ventures involving Jeremy Lynn, a man who broke ground in the NBA here in the United States, we welcome the film's executive producer and founder of Hyphen Capital, Dave Liu. Dave, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Thanks for having me. Lynn Sanity, yes, I remember it very well, and I'm watching Jeremy Lynn play and, you know, I'm, I'm an old geezer sports fan. It's like, you know, I've seen, you know, okay, let me see what Jeremy, damn, he just did <laughs> what? Oh, man, I, you know, that was a special time uh, if you're a Knicks fan or just an NBA fan in general. Can you take us back to that time and what it was like? Yeah, I mean, I grew up a Knicks fan. I was born in Queens, grew up in Jersey, rooting for the Knicks for, for years, and it has been a painful several decades and in 2012 um, that when that happened uh, it just uh, it was incredible and especially you know as a Taiwanese American Asian American uh, rarely seeing anyone that looks like you in the NBA seeing someone rise to for you know that that stretch to the, be the best player in the world and you know all eyes on him was special because you know for so so long you know we feel pretty unseen or invisible in you know in the league or in sports in general and to see someone that looked like myself um, playing at that level um, was was incredible. And I was very fortunate enough to be at several of those games. And so I was in the garden when he dropped 38 on Kobe. And that was a special night for me. Probably one of the best experiences I've ever had. So explain to us how this project came together, 38 at the garden, because I recall that during Lynn Sanity and shortly thereafter, Jeremy Lynn was shy. He didn't exactly want to talk to mm-hmm. the media. Everyone was trying to get an interview with him, but he was trying to focus on his game. And even afterwards, he didn't feel or seem to feel very comfortable mm-hmm. talking to the media. Yeah. I mean, I think it was more that he didn't like, he wanted the spotlight to be on his game, but he felt like he bared 
you know, bear the burden of, like I just said before, being the one representative of an entire race uh, playing in the NBA and all the questions pointed at him because that was kind of more the story and he wanted to be more about um, the basketball than anything. And I think his whole life, that's always stood out for him, whether it be from racial epithets playing in the Ivy League to, you know, other, all, all the different questions and, you know, signs and ESPN, you know, analysis saying certain using certain phrases like chinking the armor or whatnot. Um, right, there but were a lot ju- of racial... just to interrupt for a second, Dave, Yao Ming yeah. played in the NBA, so it's not like there haven't sure. been Asians there. Yeah, uh, very different, though, because he grew up in China, was raised in China. He Jeremy Lin was born in Palo Alto, California. He was American. He was California State Player of the Year in high school. He didn't get any uh, scholarships from any schools, despite being the best player in Hall California, which is absurd. Um, and so, you know, he's, he's a born and bred American, and being, I think feeling like he was um, some kind of anomaly, um, you know, and feeling different, having to represent all of Asian America was, was very different because, I mean, Yao Ming's seven, 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 or, you know, he's, he's a, a, a very uh, gifts, a natural gifts that were beyond, uh, you know, anyone. So he could dominate, but Jeremy Lin was six, three, he was the same height as many people. And, you know, he, he didn't, he wasn't supposed to be there. He wasn't drafted. Mm. Yao Ming was, uh, he was picked and known to be, he was like bred to be this giant center that was going to dominate. But Jeremy Lin was, you know, not supposed to even get there. And then he wasn't given a chance until that chance was just happened to fall on his lap when all the injuries happened uh, on the Knicks. And there, he, he got that moment and he seized it. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. David, similar to yourself, you know, I was born in Queens. I grew up in New Jersey. I mean, I just have one question, man. How did Stanford miss this kid? I mean, let's just be clear to all our audience. You know, Jeremy yeah. Lin attended Harvard University. He lived yep. across the street from Stanford, one yep. state for Palo Alto. They upset Matter Day. Talk to me. Yep. How did they possibly miss him? And talk to us, really, about the stereotypes that Asian Americans suffered from then and whether or not anything's changed today. Yeah, that's, that's a perfect question, especially given the, the film, The Three Eighth Garden. Um, so... I mean, he, he was the, he won the state championship. He led his team to the state championship. He was national, it was the high school player of the year in California, being Matter Day, like, as you said. And he didn't get any scholarship offers, zero scholarship offers. He got two, he, MIT and Harvard took him, and, uh, basically he couldn't get, you know, recruited by any D1 teams. But he wanted to play D1 basketball, so he took the Harvard, um, you know, the chance to play at Harvard to play against other teams like UConn and, and Shine. But I think at the end of the day, you know, he didn't look the part. And I think a lot of coaches and staff, you know, didn't think he could cut it in, in D1 basketball. They're like, oh, well, this is a great story. Probably not going to keep going in, in Division One because you have to, you know, be bigger and stronger and be a certain way. But I think a lot of the baggage that and stereotypes that people have around Asians that, you know, were, you know, weaker, smaller, not strong enough, um, you know, Ken Ball, whatever it might be, those were all kind of laid upon him. And he was hurt, his, you know, career and, everything has been hurt because of that, because of everyone's kind of, you know, what, what people assume about someone who's Asian. Um, and so, but he, he ended up proving them wrong. And I think that's, today is the same, what we're seeing now with all the Asian hate crimes happening in the rise since, you know, COVID. A lot of that is the same thing, that people can bully Asians, uh, whether it be on the streets or in the workplace. 
um, you know, Asians are least likely to be promoted um, at jobs uh, up to, to certain levels. And it's been frustrating to see, but I think this story, uh, as Jeremy said, he's kind of embraced, he didn't want to, you know, speak about a lot of the stuff that happened before because he didn't want to be the representation for all race, representative for a whole race. But now he's seen how much the story has meant to so many people, and it's inspired so many people um, that he's starting to speak out a lot more on it. That's why he, you know, became a part of this project um, because he had no idea what it meant. Even to this day, ten years later, what it meant to so many people. Um, it was amazing because we had Hassan Minaj uh, in the film, and he was talking about that shot in Toronto, the, the game-winning shot that he took. And he waved off, you know, other players to take yeah. that shot from the three-point line. Mike D'Antoni won't call timeout and let the Raptors set up their D. The crowd on its feet here at the Air Canada Center. Lynn puts it up. Bang! Jeremy Lynn from downtown! And the Knicks take the lead! That rarely, if ever, is something that we see in our, you know, in the Asian American community, that we would see someone wave off others and just take that take that shot and, and take that moment to shine because we oftentimes we kind of hide in the background or we're told to, even by our parents and, you know, in our culture, race to keep our heads down and just work hard and, and not, not, not stand out. Don't uh, draw attention others. to yourself. Exactly, exactly. And that's, you know, Jeremy took that moment. And I think that's something that as a, as a whole kind of community of, of Asian Americans, we saw that. And even if you saw it, if you watched that game again, the fans in Toronto all cheered regardless of what race they were. But I think Asians like had so much pride in that moment because we don't get those moments in, in, Asian, in, in you know, American media uh, at all, or even you know, global media. So for us to see someone like that um, atop the sports world was insanity. And I guess that's why they call it insanity, because to me, uh, it, it just was a moment that will stand out. And it may never happen again, but we still have that. And that's mm-hmm. why I wanted to produce, help produce this movie, because... They couldn't, the producers, when they reached out to me, they couldn't find the funding for this. They had to make it independently because, I mean, how many people think that this is a big deal? You know, 10 years later, that this kid had to run for three weeks. You know, it was, a, it was a, you know, blue moon type thing. But for us, it still is a very prominent moment in Asian American history. So I, I wanted to get it made. So I helped raise the money um, and talk to the Warriors organization. who were, they, were, they actually drafted uh, or signed him first. Um, and, you know, he played with Joe Lake of Sun. Uh, at in, in Palo Alto and AU, and so he knew Jeremy, and that's why he signed him. But um, and then Golden State Warriors helped, you know, fund this project as well, as well. So very grateful for all the people that thought that this was something that needed a story that needed to be made. And so now my two boys can watch this, and other kids can watch it, and it won't have to seem like it was, you know, ten years ago. They can watch it like it was yesterday and, and learn about it. Yeah, we are not a basketball family. We we watch hockey, but um, for those few weeks, we're all watching the Knicks. And my kids both have Linsanity T-shirts. Michael Bard from from way back when. Oh yeah, I, I mean <laughs> that day, I, I, all that whole era of him, and, and you you said it right, Dave. I mean he played the game with class, and you know, and he wanted to show his talents out there. Now me. Uh, I'd I'd have been some fool that's like, take this dunk and shove it up your baseline because I'm sick and tired of you guys with all this garbage. And and which brings me, you know, I want to talk about his class. He really represented the game very well and Mm -hmm. just a a great, you know, human being. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. He's 
he's always upheld himself in a certain way, and and whether because of his faith or just respect for other people, I think he's always he's a prime example of someone I want my kids to look up to. But I think it's also like he wanted people to focus on you know his game and not focus on other things, and I think that's why he kind of kept to himself so much um, because he just wanted to play basketball. He loved basketball. That's why you know even now he's off in China playing because he couldn't get you know another shot at the league. And you know despite being the best player in the G League. The year that he he tried to get back in the league again, he didn't have it. And this is the sad part. Even the stats that he's always had, the Knicks had the data. Pablo Torres told me that the Knicks had the data that he was the fastest player on the team. Uh, Daryl Morey also said that they had those stats for the Rockets too, and and they just couldn't believe it. And Daryl Morey even said in the in this book that Michael Lewis wrote, he said uh, it was probably because he's Asian. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, to be honest, that was the reason why. Even though the numbers were there. And he had the fastest first step, you know, that they had recorded on the team. They couldn't believe it because they're like, this can't be happening. And again, Cass had to fight that time and time again from high school to college to the NBA, team after team. It's like, well, how much, how much more can he prove? Um, at the end of the day, you know, I, I think it was something that he couldn't, couldn't take, you know, overcome. Yeah. Um, and so now he has to play in China. So it's, it is really unfortunate. So you mentioned that the producers reached out to you because they couldn't find funding. Yeah. Um, it was meant to be independent. You came through with funding. How did you then link up with HBO? Because uh, 38 at the Garden yeah. is streaming on HBO. That's right. So um, very lucky. The, the two um, producers on this, Trayvon Free and um, Trayvon Free and Samir Hernandez, reached out because they, Samir Hernandez and oh, Trayvon and our director, Frank Chi, have been good friends. And they were talking about what are impossible moments that we've seen in history? And, you know, Obama winning the election is, is one of the ones that we'll always remember. And uh, Trayvon asked Frank, you know, what was it for you? And it's like, he's like, for all Asian Americans, it'll always be Lansanity because that's something that is it's forever etched in our memories. Um, and so, you know, they wanted to tell this story because it, I think they didn't realize how much it meant to so many people. And so they um trayvon actually was a writer for the daily show for many years and so he uh and then samir was uh you know he, he worked with them he knows the nba very well he was a editor on the slam magazine and so they they basically were like we we want to make this film and uh we, they asked me uh to help it help out with the funding and then trayvon was already working on a project with hbo and he was just talking about it um they asked uh, them and what else he's working on, and they had some footage that we had, you know, already been working on ourselves mm. um, to put for this. And she said, "I've been looking at this for a story for an insanity, uh, you know, doc for a while, um, and this is, you know, the the one. The timing just worked out perfectly. Just all fell, in, you know, into place. And you know, there's there's lots of funny stories from the filming that things just happened to fall into place. But you know, originally the story wasn't the narrative of the story was supposed to be around um, a player and a Palo Alto high school player who's playing D1 basketball in SoCal right now. Um, and it changed after we interviewed all of the kind of um, celebrities and, and, uh, and other folks. It changed around talking about current Asian hate crimes and the climate of what happened then and 10 years later, how different it is now that, you know, we went from a moment of celebrating from, you know, bars in K-Town to, I mean, friends in Taiwan were texting me because they saw me at the on TV at the game. <laughs> and, you know, people all over the country texting me um, to 10 years later, you know, from feeling so un- feeling so seen to feeling so unseen now when we saw- see all these news stories popping up uh, mm-hmm. about Asian hate crimes happening all over the country. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You know, David, you mentioned Asian hate crimes. I mean, um, Jeremy Lin is a Taiwanese-American. You yourself are a proud Taiwanese-American. You know, you've written about Asian hate crimes. In fact, I believe you got published in the Wall Street Journal, rallied thousands Mm -hmm. such as President George Bush and everybody to come uh, behind you in this effort to to squash Asian hate crimes. My question for you is you're of Taiwanese descent. And, you know, I grew up in Flushing, Queens. I grew up in Fort Lee, New Jersey, Mm -hmm. Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese, Chinese, Taiwanese. Talk to me about the geopolitical divide that is taking place right now in the South China Sea between the PRC and Taiwan. How does that impact you? And how does that impact the Asian community more broadly? Wow, loaded question, Damien. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's totally okay. Um, Look, I'm very much American, but very much Taiwanese also. And I think I I was, you know, just there a couple of years ago um, during the pandemic. And, you know, I I go every year and my 140 year old grandmother lived out there and she passed away recently. But I think for me, my heart is is also in Taiwan. And I think seeing what's happening there is is heartbreaking because, you know, my family there and, you know, all the stuff that's happening and tensions um, is, is very difficult for us to to see from here. Over there, they're less worried about it because they've lived with this cloud over their head for a long time, but um, I still worry for my family. But at the end of the day, I think it's more about a lot of the rhetoric that's coming out of uh, Washington now about anti, anti-China, anti you know, everything. And I've seen Marco Rubio, he actually uh, drafted, uh, uh, there's, there's legislation now to ban anyone like CCP related from coming into the country. And it's very reminiscent of anti-exclusionary act. The first race, we were Chinese people were the first race ever to be like targeted as uh, being excluded from coming to this country in legislation. And now, you know, fast forward now, it's like, well, it's happening again. And so, you know, the danger is that when people don't know the difference, they lump, um, you know, all Chinese people with being a communist and uh, the CCP and all this other stuff. Most of the people there don't want this. There's, that's why you're seeing protests now and people angry. And so the problem with that is when you come to the U.S., when people are, you know, sometimes even more, you know, less aware, they think someone who's Filipino, Vietnamese, they don't care what you are. They think you're Chinese and they think that you're, you have COVID or you're a communist or, you know, this is the ignorance that comes from, you know, being in a, in a melting pot where people just assume a lot about other people when they don't know them. Um, and so I think one of the reasons I wanted to make this film is that I thought, hey, we, we want people to be more aware of the, the moments that we contribute to this country or the, the moments as Asian Americans that we've had in this country. Most people don't know that the, uh, you know, the most decorated battalion in American military history or Japanese Americans, that most of them were interned and then they fought in World War II to like maybe they fought and they actually, you know, got more medals than anyone else, the 445th. Um, and these are the stories that never get told because, again, no one wants, no one wants to produce them because they think no one will watch them. And so something like this I, I knew had to be made because, mm-hmm. you know, there are people who will watch it. And this is, a, this is the thing. When I was in the garden that day, I saw kids, black, white, you know, whatever, wearing Jeremy Lin jerseys. And it didn't matter because, you know, he was a Nick. He was, you know, an American. And that's what they saw. And they celebrated that. And I think if you watch the film, you see that we all get brought together by you know, these, these, these things. And um, it's sad that there aren't 
more storytellers are trying to tell these stories so mm-hmm. that we feel more included because otherwise we continue to be seen as foreigners and then these hate crimes keep happening. And I mean, I'll tell you, I'm just as American as any other person who's walking on the street trying to say, call me and, you know, different racial slurs. So for me, it's like, it, it, it hurts to be, be treated like a second class citizen in your own country. But look, I know there are many other communities that are treated like that way too. And so I'm, I'm out here trying to, you know, you know, fight for, for everyone's story to be told. Um, but I, I think this is something that was near and dear to my heart, especially yeah. since, you know, I, I, I was there. So, Dave, so fold in your passion about um, Asian American advocacy with your day job, which is you are a founder of Hyphen Capital and you're very mm-hmm. much looking to um, support, advocate and put Asian American founders uh, first or at least give them a platform. Can you explain yeah. a little bit about what you do in your day job and how that meshes with uh, 38 at the Garden? Yeah, well, so I'm uh, a co-founder of a uh, tech startup um, as well as an investor. Um, and so I started Hyphen because I, I myself, you know, as an Asian American growing up, a lot of people, I think, assume, oh, Asians, you know, they, they do really well in this country. They make the most money when, you know, Asians are the most diverse group in the country in terms of ethnicities. And there's many that fall below the poverty line. But to lump us all together because of the model, model minority myth is dangerous. Because so we all don't come from, you know, wealthy backgrounds. I myself, you know, came from a middle-class family. But my parents, when I started my first company, they, they didn't want me to, you know, leave my I, I leave your Ivy League degree and your fancy job at a you know big <laughs> Apple or eBay or whatever and go do this. They're like you're crazy. We didn't come to this country and sacrifice everything for you to go do that and start from scratch again. And I think that's the case for a lot of folks. There, there a lot of you know Asian American founders. They had to. I have some founders I've invested in. The parents have disowned them because they're like. They, they weren't pleased with their decision. And I think we don't have trust funds like some kids do. We don't have rich uncles who can just give us a job after or, you know, fraternity brothers who will just, you know, sign us up to our private equity firm if we need to. It doesn't work like that for a lot of us. We're paying school loans still. We're paying the rent. We have to, you know, still feed ourselves. So without that first check, it makes a big difference. And so I want to help others who, you know, want a similar situation as me to be able to pursue, pursue their dreams. And the biggest reason why, I, honestly, is that um, the data shows that even though Silicon Valley has 40 to 50 percent, you know, Asian American employees on the front lines, you know, a very small percentage get promoted to executive ranks. And we're the least likely, as I mentioned before, the least likely to be promoted. They call it the bamboo ceiling, you know, glass ceiling, whatever it is. But the only companies that I saw that people, like Asians, were actually promoted at parity with other races were NVIDIA and Pinterest and both CEOs. Uh, Jensen Pong and Ben Sieberman, both are Asian American. And so for me, it's all about, hey, you know what? If you're going to put a ceiling on top of us, then we're going to build our own houses. Like I will fund people to build their own houses so they don't have to deal with this because it's just not fair. And to get people to change their minds and change how they, they are and, and actually start promoting people, I mean, that, uh, that's much harder to do than actually just you know, funding other founders who um, will give others a chance. And it's not just, you know, Asians that they'll promote, they'll promote others who, who have been given less of a chance. And I think that's the most important thing to me. And so, you know, even invest for me, investing in 50% of the companies I've invested in, uh, this is 80 plus companies, $30 million so far, they're women, uh, Asian American women, because they're also, you know, under underestimated. And so I want to give them a chance too. So a lot of this is about investing in underdogs who have been, 
you know, just like Jeremy Lin, have been uh, underestimated, undervalued, um, and, you know, give them a chance to have that moment. 38 at the Garden. Check it out, folks. Uh, I From the trailer, I love it. I'm going to race home and look at it right now when I get in the door. It'll take you back to 2012, it, Michael it, Barr. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's t- <laughs> that's still will. modern times to me. That's, that's how <laughs> old I am, Dave, man. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> no, it's, it's, all, it's all good. We're, it's, and that's why we made it. That's why we made it. <laughs> Dave Lou, you are you are very kind and dropped some knowledge on us here at the Bloomberg Business of Sports. We really do appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Dave Lou, he had a story and he was talking about how he wanted to do his venture, you know, after college, just the way he wanted to go. And I couldn't help but to think of my mom and dad when I said, <laughs> Mom, Dad, I want to get in the radio. And they're like, have you lost your damn mind? (laughs) And and, and this came out of my dad's mouth. He said, you need to go work at the post office. And I'm like, what? And I'm not knocking the post office, but it's like, come on, man. Did your parents not hear you speak out loud? I mean, you were born for this. This, Well, yeah, they, then they made me take out the garbage. And then I was like, I'm I'm on board with that. You know, for, for me, for me, the big takeaway was, you know, he mentioned it. He mentioned Daryl Morey, who was the Rockets GM um, of the time. And, you know, I remember I remember him saying that Lynn had the quickest first step and should have been like a top 15 pick out of college. But he never got drafted, you know, and it's amazing, you know, and like like I remember that story when Floyd Mer- uh, Floyd Mayweather, right, during during the run in Feb of 20, 2012. He criticized Lynn because he's like, ah, you know, if if he was African-American, you wouldn't be talking about him. So, you know, like he Mm -hmm. had to contend with so much in such a condensed period of time. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I remember the MSG security guard wouldn't let him in the player's entrance. Right. So it's pretty it's pretty it's it's pretty awesome that they're retelling the story and, and, and doing it today. Yeah, he didn't look the part. That's what it came down to. I remember reading and hearing about Jeremy Lin when he was at Harvard um, and all the hoopla around him, this incredible player. And then it kind of just died off because Harvard basketball is not exactly, you know, Duke basketball. So it it just doesn't carry the same um, sense of importance and significance. You know, you play basketball at Harvard, great. And then you move on, you do something else in your professional career. But then he showed up in MSG and under the biggest spotlight, right, in New York, playing against the L.A. Lakers. I mean, that was just incredible. My husband, who could care less about basketball, was glued to the television every night watching Jeremy Lin. My kids were cheering for him nonstop. I mean, it was such a magical time if you were an Asian-American, especially as a mom of two Asian-American boys. They loved everything about him. And it was a bit disappointing, I think, at the time, but now I understand it better, that Jeremy Lin didn't come out and embrace all of that. But also, he was a kid. He was kind of just taken aback by the amount of attention. And, you know, he had to do what he had to do on the court. And you can't do that and be spokesperson for all Asian-Americans. That's at the same time, as he, as someone young who had come into like this level right. of fame so quickly, he he just it just class just oozed out of him, and and oh, I yeah. and I really you know I really admire that the way he handled all of that because someone his age, maybe somebody different, would have handled it mm. totally different. 
Yeah, the Knicks is full of stars that do that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did I go too far? Whoops. <laughs> he was pl- he was playing with a pair of Deavers in Carmelo Anthony and Amar at the time, if you don't remember. So, I mean, look, here here's the one most interesting thing, right? And you have to just kind of take this for what it is. If, if Lynn, maybe if he wasn't of, of Asian-American descent, you know, and he had been offered the same opportunities as others. Yeah. I mean, the talent, the raw talent. I mean, if you recall, as an NBA you know, professional, his big knock was that he turned the ball over so much. But that stuff goes away if you had the right opportunities to attend Duke University, you know, mm. or whatever. And, you know, had the right coaching at the right formative time in your in your career. You know, he could have been, you know, he could have been a perennial law. He could have been like Steph Curry, potentially. Right. Steph Curry wasn't a big guy coming into the NBA either. So, you know, it's all quite interesting and it gets your brain th- thinking in a lot of different ways. And, you know, I thought it was uh, I thought David Liu uh, is spot on in telling the story today. 38 at the Garden. Check it out. This has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scarlett Fu and Damian Sassauer. Catch us here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday exploring the world of money and sports. Catch me on Twitter at Big Car Sports. And I'm on Twitter at Scarlett Fu. And I'm on Twitter at D Sassauer. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.